tonight. Come on. So I, um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Josh. I lead worship just like Jalen does here at our Orient campus. But lately, Jalen just been telling me this is this place has been lit. This place goes crazy. Is that true? <laughs> hey, so I want to read something that's just been on my heart lately in Psalm 34 before we really get into tonight. And that's this. And this is from the message version. It says this. It says, I bless God every chance I get. My lungs expand with his praise. I live and breathe God. If things aren't going well, hear this and be happy. Join me in spreading the news and together, let's get the word out. God met me more than halfway and he freed me from my anxious fears. Look at him, give him your warmest smile and never hide your feelings from him. And when I was desperate, I called out and God got me out of a tight spot. God's angels set up a circle of protection around us while we pray. Open your mouth and taste, open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are those who run to him. This is my favorite part of this. It says, worship God if you want the best. Because worship opens doors to all his goodness. Young lions on the prowl get hungry, but God seekers are full of God. Come children, listen closely. I'll give you a lesson in God worship. So Jesus, we declare tonight for you. We ascribe word to you. We thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done for us. And may tonight be about you. May tonight be about us singing out to you. That it doesn't matter about who's on this stage. That it doesn't matter about anything that we've walked in with, Lord Jesus. But it literally is only about you. So we thank you for loving us. For being there for us. And it's in your name that we all pray. Amen. You guys know this one. Here we go. The night is falling. The fear is coming. Put your hands together. Still you calling me. My faith is lost and my hope exhausted. You will be my strength. Here we go. So when my mind says I'm not good enough, God, you're enough for me. I've decided I'm not giving up. No, you won't give up on me. You won't give up on me. Yeah. 
chapter 8 and, and verse 36 where Jesus says he's, he's speaking to his followers and he says if the son has set you free you are free indeed and um, it's such a beautiful reminder of how if we are if we are sons and daughters if we have Jesus in our lives if we have the spirit in us we get to live in this incredible freedom and this incredible truth but I think the reason that I love this song so much is because often even though we have that freedom um, at our fingertips, we don't live in that. We don't take that on as our identity. And so the reason I love the song is because this is a declaration that we get to sing out, that we get to sing out the truth, that if the Son has set us free, we are truly free. We are truly free indeed. And so um, I'm just going to teach you guys the chorus, and then we're going to jump in. All right, it goes like this. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place.
before we have a seat, why don't you say hi to somebody around you? Let me pray for us actually before we do that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that again we can come in this place and gather. That we can come to a safe place and we can worship you and the King of Kings. The only name worth it all. And yet you call us holy and blameless. You call us worthy. May we know that today. It's in your precious name we pray. Jesus Christ, we love you. Amen. Say hi to somebody before you sit down. so grateful we're together. It's awesome to be back at Midweek Yes. Your voice sounds amazing. So I'm going to embarrass this guy because you know Dave Wilson. He's got his hat on. He's trying to look cool and everything, playing bass, you know. No, you did look cool, actually. That's better. No, that's not better. But, but here's the great thing. I was watching you play bass, and I was thinking about this last Easter, and everyone kind of knows this, but I'm watching you. You played bass 18 years ago, and you preached, right? And I came to Christ through your preaching. So I just want to tell you, you don't get here very often. I told my testimony this past Easter, but I love you and thank you. It's awesome. It's so cool that a lead pastor, you know, of this and lead movement of this whole thing, he's up here playing bass, you know, and so it's, it's so cool. He's, he's awesome. So thank you. I'm grateful that you're here. Hey, listen, uh, ushers, when you're ready, you can come down. We're going to receive our offering. And so we're grateful that you're here. If you, are you, <laughs> yeah, give. There he goes. Yeah, there you give. Uh, if you come prepared to give, awesome. If you're brand new, just be with us tonight. If you want to give, great. Uh, you can be part of that moment, but thank you. Uh, tonight's going to be an, a, a fun night. Uh, it already has been, but uh, we have a special guest. It's a new friend for, for me and uh, really not that new for Kensington. I, Boyd, I think you've been uh, connected to us through church planning, but Boyd White is here. Uh, he's a church planner. He has a church in Detroit called The Ark, and, uh, and he's an awesome uh, leader. I'm not going to tell him what you do by day. You got a secret job by day, but um, he's an amazing preacher. And so I, I invited him to come speak. The first time I, I actually went down to, uh, we went out to, to lunch together in Royal Oak. I was captivated by his vision for Detroit and what God has on his heart. And then I got to go down and be part of his community in the ark. And uh, that night was a special night because you had a whole panel of church planners and leaders Sonny, Sonny Smith was there, right? Uh, Eric Moore was there, both uh, close friends of us. And it was a great night to hear vision about the city of Detroit in particular. And so I was waiting and waiting, waiting for a night to have you come up. And so tonight's the night. So Boyd, come on up, give him a huge hand. Uh, he's going to share uh, with us. You got to keep clapping. You know the drill. You know the drill. Yeah, that's the drill. That's the Troy welcome. Awesome. So let me, let me pray for you, and you're, you're free to go. Do what you do best. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this man. Thank you for his heart for you. Thank you for his heart for the city. And thank you for uh, how he is following you courageously. And you've gifted him with a, such a unique mind. You really have, Lord. And, and it's just beautiful to listen 
to him thinking. Watch his mind turn as he thinks about you. And so, Lord, I ask that you set him free, set his heart free, his soul free, his mind free, to speak the words that you have in his heart tonight. We thank you, Lord, for all that you'll do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus. I'm so excited to be here. Thank God for Pastor Danny. Let's give Pastor Danny a hand. Pastor Andrew, our worship team, they were awesome tonight. Come on, let's give them a hand. They spilled all their vocal cords out on the stage in such an amazing fashion. I'm grateful to be here tonight. As Pastor Danny said, my name is Boyd White III. I am the lead church planner at a wonderful church we're planning in Detroit that the Lord has laid it on our heart to call it the Ark Detroit. And I'm here tonight with my amazing family. My wife, Kyra's here. All my babies are here. I have four children and my niece, um, Jordis, Boyd, Josie, Gia, and Kaylin are all here. And my sister, Raina's here. Let's give them all a hand tonight. My baby sister just walked in the door. So I mean, I had to preach good tonight. My baby sister is here. But we're just so blessed to be here and, and grateful for this opportunity. Just lift your hand just where you sit right now. God, this, tonight we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for these people. We thank you for this midweek service. We thank you tonight, Lord, for the struggle of the day. Thank you, God, for the crazy emails. Thank you, God, for the insane bosses. Thank you, God, for the loud children that won't shut up before we were trying to get out the door today. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. God, tonight we thank you. And Lord, in this moment, God, we ask that you design and create this moment to be an intercession moment and an intersection moment between our reality and your timelessness. Lord, step out of your timelessness into this moment right now. And God, open our eyes tonight. Open my eyes that I can see what you're showing. Open my ears that I can hear what you're speaking. Lord, touch my lips that I can speak what you're saying. And anoint the hearts of these, your people, so that they can hear your word in the way that you've designed it. So that their lives will never be the same again in the name of Jesus. Now, somebody who loves Jesus, just shout as loud as you can and say, Jesus! Jesus! I want you to look at the screen. We're going to go very quickly. I don't have a lot of time. We're going to go to... uh, Excuse me, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And that's what we'll have up on the screen. And then I'm going to read one verse in Hebrews chapter 12. How many of us came to have a little Bible study tonight right quick? Me too. All right. So Philippians, actually, I'll start reading in Hebrews, then we'll go to the screen. Hebrews chapter 12 and 1 says, Therefore, seeing we are also encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Everybody say, lay aside your weights. And the sin which doth so easily be set it. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now we will go over to Philippians chapter 3, and let's look up on the screen. And we'd like for all of us to read this together. Oh, that was me up there. Are y'all ready to read this? Come on, everyone standing for the reading of the word very quickly. And we'll read this all together on the count of three. One, two, three, further. My brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself should have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Read. Mm -hmm. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have suffered of all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of mine own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Here it is. Let's say it again. I want to know. Uh-huh. I want to speak tonight for the next 28 minutes and 50 seconds on this subject. Shift your gaze. Shift your gaze. I love that uh, Pastor Danny mentioned Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. It is now uh, 10 days approximately in terms of time past the amazing opportunity that we had as people of God all over the world to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection time is an amazing time because it gives us an opportunity to focus on the centrality and the relevance of the resurrection. And, it, and, and, and it, it, it's not like we don't focus on the resurrection on every other time. But this is the time that in terms of our Christian calendar, we set aside to do it. And so we do. And on these amazing services, and I know y'all had amazing services here at Kensington. We had an opportunity, number one, to understand the why of the resurrection, which, which ultimately is the why of the gospel. Why in the world does Jesus have to come to the earth and give his life? John chapter 1 verses 1. 
says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with Him, and then the Word became flesh. How many of us thank God that God became flesh? He became flesh, and not only did He become flesh, because He could have just become flesh and lived in a penthouse or a castle somewhere, you know. I love Game of Thrones, you know. Jesus totally would have been a Stark. Totally. So he could have come and lived in Winterfell, but he decided that he would become flesh and dwell amongst the people. But the question is why? Well, we learn in John, in the context of the resurrection, that it's not that we loved him, but it's that he loved us and gave himself a ransom for our sins. We see in Romans chapter 5 where it speaks about the fact that it's not about our own righteousness. He didn't wait until we got everything together. He didn't wait until we stopped doing those things which aren't like God. The scripture says that while we were yet in our sins, in due time Christ dies for the ungodly. And so through the resurrection experience, we learn that it really ain't about you. It's about him. But not only do we understand the why, we also understand the how. Look at someone and say how. We learned that there are different phases of how he did this. We, on that service, I hope that you talked about it. I know you talked about it because you go to a great church. You talked about Jesus as he comes into Bethlehem and Jerusalem and how he's celebrated. Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. We learned about how in the sense that after he goes through the beautiful week and he gets to the end of that and we see him now in the garden of Gethsemane praying until the very blood is coming out of his pores. We see how he was betrayed by the very people that he loved the most. We see how after betrayal, he is pulled into a trial and he faces false accusations. We see how in the sense that the people who he spent all of his life healing and bringing to truth and to a next level of thought and idea that these same people would rather have a political prisoner freed than have the son of God delivered. We see him after Gethsemane. We see him after Pilate. And then we see him scourged. And I know you had a great opportunity to see that in three dimensions, how they tied him to a whipping post. And you learned about the scourging, how that the scourging was the very most brutal punishment that the Roman army could inflict on a soldier, that it was not designed For a man like Jesus, this was designed for the biggest and the strongest and the fastest and the mightiest of their warriors. They designed a punishment that was so brutal that it would break even the greatest of men. And here they have Jesus tied to a whipping post. He can't go anywhere. He can't move. He can't do anything. And they take a cat of nine tails whip. And they tie lead and bone to the end of it. And they begin to beat him beyond recognition. You heard about his scourging. And then you heard about after they scourged him, that wasn't bad enough. They took him off of the whipping post. And then they tied to his back his own cross. They took the thorns and they pressed them on top of his head. And then they made him walk that cross up to Golgotha, up to the hill. Then they lifted him up. And you heard how he was stretched pierced. Now the soldiers mocked him. And ultimately you heard about him saying it's finished. 
and it's finished meant that the story wasn't over? Paradox. It's finished, but it's not finished. <laughs> That's a word for somebody here tonight. It looks like it's over, but it's not. It looks like it's finished, but it's not. See, they didn't understand who they was messing with. They, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Even when it looks like it's over to you, it's never over with me. He said it is finished, but the finish was just the beginning. Because in three days, you learned on that resurrection service that those wailing women, they went down to the tomb where they laid them. And when they got there, he was not there. The stone had been rolled away, and the place that they laid him was empty. The, even the clothes that they laid on him were laying there nice and beautiful, and Jesus was not there because he had risen just like he said. And if you were like me on that Easter Sunday, you had a wonderful opportunity to shout and praise God because Jesus is not dead, but he is alive Seated on the right hand of the Father through the resurrection, we learn about the how. Through the resurrection, we learn about the why. But for tonight on April 11, 2018, 10 days after the resurrection, the most important question is the who. Somebody say who. who? And not necessarily who from the standpoint of who died? I mean, we know the answer to that. But who from the standpoint of those that understand the death, that understand the burial, that understand the resurrection? See, the resurrection time is really a litmus test for people who have a true heart for Jesus and people who may not. Because uh, if you were like the services that I were in, you looked around and saw some people you ain't seen in a long time. You at church? They looking at you, you looking at them. You heard from people you hadn't heard from from a long time. I mean, why? It is one of our national holidays. For many people, Easter is no different than Thanksgiving. It's in the same boat as Memorial Day. It's in the same boat as Mother's Day. It's in the same boat as, holiday, as, as Father's Day. It's the day that as a culture, we come together and we come together to celebrate. But from a secular standpoint, it's become a celebration of the celebration itself. It's a means to its own end. We have people who will pack churches all over the country who may not truly understand why they're there. And they're listening to the message. But they're really more about the fact, I came to see my mama today, I ain't come to hear about all of that. I came to eat. But the problem becomes that after the service is over, the question is, who really understands what this resurrection is about? Because to many people who will come to our services on the Sundays, the resurrection in the Easter is nothing more than a superstitious fairy tale. It's something that if you press them and if you say Jesus rose from the dead, they will look at you like you are crazy. But do you know that's what we believe? Do you know that you cannot be a Christian unless you believe that, that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you know that you can have your name on every church road from here 
to Seven Mile Road, but it will not matter unless you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and in a day where people don't even believe that God can do anything, that he's not even real, do you know that you have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And so for us who are believers, this resurrection is more than just a holiday. It's more than just a day to see great performances. It's more than just a day to eat my mother's fruit salad. It's more than just a day to see the best basketball game on Sunday. For those of us who have been changed, the resurrection is the wisdom of God. For those of us who have been changed, the resurrection is the power of God. For those of us who have been changed, the cross gives us meaning. But it is the resurrection that gives us power. That's why Paul could say. Oh, somebody felt power in here. That's why Paul could say, if this same spirit, which raises Christ from the dead, dwells in you, you won't be able to just stand here and talk about Jesus like this. But you'll get excited because the scripture says it will quicken your mortal body. What is on the inside of you, if it's real, has to make a difference on the outside. It's because of the resurrection that I praise him. It's because of the resurrection that I'm sitting here on a Wednesday night after work. It's because of the resurrection that I will shift my gaze. See, all of us here tonight, no matter what stage we're in, are going through a crucifixion process. That's why the cross is relevant. That's why the resurrection is greater than superstition. Because it is the process whereby God uses to develop himself in you. Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That means every single person on this earth who will give their hearts to Jesus will go through a crucifixion experience. You can't avoid it. You can't get away from it. You cannot run from it. It is the way of the master. You will be crucified. Sorry to tell you that. I apologize that to let you know that this is greater than blue lights and beautiful screens. At the very core of the gospel, this is about death. Paul says, I have to mortify the deeds of my flesh that I may live. But you say, boy, I've never been on a cross. But the different phases to it, I told you, Jesus starts off being betrayed. Some of us right now are in the garden of Gethsemane. You're being pressed by life. You're looking for help all around you. And the people that you would rely on to help you are not there. You're going through a betrayal. For others of you, well, boy, I'm not being betrayed, but I'm being scourged. I've been tied to the whipping post of life and I can't move. I'm on a job with a crazy boss and I cannot get away from her. I tried to get away from her and they were like, you know, you're going nowhere. That actually happens to me. (laughs) This week. What is that? I'm on the whipping post and I'm being scourged. I'm being beaten by life. You say, well, boy, uh, I'm not on the whipping post. That's not my issue, but I am in shame. The crucifixion itself was the most shameful death 
particularly for a person of the law, because to die on a tree was absolutely a curse. That's why in Hebrews it says that he despised the shame that speaks of the cross. And many of you right now have been hung up in front of your family. You've been hung up in front of your peers. You've been hung up in front of your neighborhood, and it is shameful. You didn't accomplish in life what they thought you would accomplish. Your children have done things that have embarrassed you and everybody's laughing at you. You come into church. You used to never come to church. Church was the farthest thing from your imagination. And you believed that when you gave your heart to Jesus, everything was going to change. And you told everybody, things are going to be different. My life's going to change. My bills will be paid. I will no longer have to worry about pain in my body because I'm a Christian. But now here we are five years after your conversion and you're still dealing with hell and high water. You're in shame. And they're laughing, saying, hey, church lady, if you got so much, why don't you come down off the cross? You're being crucified. And the thing that makes the crucifixion worse than the scourging, worse than Gethsemane, worse than the cross, is the stress I have to deal with. We are under more stress today. Stress is your perception of pressure. Stress right now is vexing many of you in this room. You can't sleep at night because of this stress. You haven't taken a deep breath in years because of this stress. And it's changing you. It's impacting you. You're here today and you want to be buttoned up in life. And you want everything to go wonderfully for you. But in your medicine cabinet is a bottle of pills that you have to take at night to stop your hands from shaking because you're going through stress. You have ulcers all over your body. Your blood pressure has gone through the roof. You are under stress and if you don't be careful that stress will take you out of here. Stress will kill you. Stress will make you do things that you never thought you would do. That's why you never say what you will and won't do. That's why you never look at a person and judge them for the things that they're doing because you don't understand the pressure that they're under. It is stress that will break you. It is stress that has Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane with blood pouring out of his pores. It is stress that makes God in the earth say, Father, if it's possible, let the cup pass. That's why. Some of us are today. He's saying, if it's possible, can the cup just pass? Can, can I pass the cup of marriage? Can I pass the cup of raising my kids? Can I pass the cup of finishing my education? Can I pass the cup of keeping my health under control? Can I pass the cup? All of us are dealing with cups. That's your crucifixion. But stress has you ready to give up. But you know you've got to survive it. You know what your purpose is. You know that you didn't come here to die on the whipping post or to die in Gethsemane. You know that God has a purpose for you on Golgotha. And tonight the question is, boy, how do I survive the crucifixion? How do I make it through this? Well, I came to tell you tonight that you've got to shift your what do you mean boy shift my gaze what are you talking about well you've got to remember stress is the perception of pressure it's not 
actually the pressure. It's how you respond to the pressure. Stress is not the crucifixion. Stress is not the scourging. No, your job is not causing you stress. Quit being mad at your husband. He not the one causing you stress. Quit being mad at your wife. She not the one causing you stress. Baby, it's how you're dealing with it. And the way you deal with it is rooted in your perspective of the trigger for the pressure. David is in a problem. He's getting ready to go down to the battle and help his brothers. But there's a big giant out there by the name of Goliath. And Goliath's going crazy. He's marching around with a big sword and a shield saying, I'm going to kill all of y'all. The brothers, I mean, they've been in church all their life. They know the word in and out. And they're sitting there trembling in their boots. They're under stress, but not David. Because David had a perspective of the thing that was triggering the stress. He knew that Goliath had no power over him. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dare would stand in front of the armies of the living God? Some of you all are dealing with Goliaths in your lives that are causing stress, but you've forgotten who Goliath's God is. So David gets to the point, he says, I'm going to get my eyes off Goliath and I'm going to get my eyes on God. He has to shift his gaze. Paul here in Philippians is telling us to shift your gaze. He's saying that the Judaizers are coming and they're telling you that you have to be circumcised. That you got to go through and be this perfect Christian and you have to wear long skirts and you have to take the makeup and lipstick off and you have to live according to all the dictates of the law. But Paul says shift your gaze. Because those aren't the things that define righteousness to Jesus. In fact, they're getting in the way of who God is calling you to be. And many of us tonight, you don't feel welcome by God. You don't feel accepted by God. That's because you've got to shift your gaze. Your eyes are on the things you're trying to do to be acceptable to God. But Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings. What do I have to do? The things that were gained to me, I got to cast them aside. My degree, cast it aside. My pedigree, cast it aside. My, my, my hopes and my dream, cast them aside. I've got to shift my gaze because those things will not produce Jesus in my life. You want to know why your walk is so hard? You want to know why things are so difficult? Because you've got your eyes on the person in the mirror. And what that person can do for you and where that person can take you. But Paul says, get your eyes off the man in the mirror. No, Michael Jackson had it wrong. <laughs> you got to get your eyes on Jesus. That's why Paul says in Hebrews chapter 12 and 1, he says, looking unto. Oh, I'm in the wrong place tonight. My bad. He says, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated now on the right hand of the Father. And so that's what I came to encourage you with tonight. You've got to shift your gaze. Yes, there is pressure all around you. Yes, there is craziness that is enveloping you. But they say of those great quarterbacks, that great quarterback, he doesn't look at the rush that's coming around him. Yeah, the defensive end is coming around him, look like he's getting ready to sack him. But the great quarterback will shift his gaze. And he'll look and see that raw receiver running right down the field. Many of you right now, I'm telling you, shift your gaze. Get your eyes off of the pressure. 
Get your eyes off of the crucifixion itself and get your eyes on Jesus. How else do you think Jesus could look down on those soldiers and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do because he shifted his gaze. Can't you see him standing before Pilate and Pilate is looking at him like he's crazy and he's saying, all you got to do, Jesus, is say one word and I will let you go. And Jesus looked at him like, what? No man take my life, but I lay it down to redeem. What did he do? He shifted his gaze. Elijah is in a battle. He's surrounded by armies and enemies, and they're all around him, and they look like they're getting ready to take him out. Look like they're getting ready to bust in the house and pull him out. Elijah sends his servant Gehazi out because Elijah knew something. Gehazi goes out looking down at all of the problems. He sees a thousand soldiers. He runs back in the house. He's like, Elijah, man, they're about to kill us. Elijah said, shift your gaze. He goes back out and ultimately the Lord opens his eyes and he sees 10,000 legions of angels surrounding the house. In other words, he's saying to him that no man will set on you to hurt you. I came to talk to somebody tonight who's been dealing with the craziness of life, ready to give up and throw in the towel. I came to tell you to shift your gaze. And when you shift your gaze, then your help comes. When you shift your gaze, then your strength comes. When you shift your gaze, you can be like the songwriter that says, uh, uh, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting door. And then the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? You don't know it till you shift your gaze. And I'm not telling you something that I just sat down in a room and thought up. This was my life experience. It was two years ago I had to shift my gaze. My wife had to shift her gaze. We lost our sister-in-law in a sudden and fiery car crash. She was here one minute and gone the next. And as I looked across as my atheistic standpoint, because I deal with that, I struggle with the atheistic perspective in which I've been socialized with in American culture. Is God really real? How could this happen if God is real? If there is a God, how could she die in a car crash? Some of us right now are wrestling with the atheist down on the inside of us. And it was in that moment that that atheist had me wanting to walk away. But in that moment, I had to shift my gaze. Because the word of the Lord says that all things work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose. And right when the grief started to rise up and choke me like a natural man, instead of breaking down on the floor, I lifted up my hands. I shifted my gaze and I began to magnify the name of the Lord. In the middle of the moment, God wants you not to shift your gaze down. He wants you to look up and give him a worship. Look up and give him a praise. And when you do that, you can be like Paul when he says that I may know him. You want to know Jesus, you got to be like him. He says, I may know him in the power of his resurrection. In the fellowship of his sufferings. How? to shift my gaze. Everyone standing.
It is in these moments of silence where we're challenged. Challenged to see if we're going to come up to the level that God is calling us for. You're going to hear next week when Paul says, it's not that I've already attained to this ideal, but I follow after that I may apprehend the thing which is catching me. Shifting my gaze is not easy. Most of the time I fail at it. Most of the time so do you. But that's why we worship Jesus who is ever seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. You may say, boy, tonight my life is so heavy. The weight has me so down. I can't lift my head. All you got to do is tap into the faith of Jesus. He already lifted his head when he said it's finished. He already lifted his head when he said, Lord, into thy hand I commit thy spirit. You've been trying to do this by yourself. But you're not by yourself any longer. When you shift your gaze, the enemy will flee from you. So tonight we're going to pray. And we're going to pray tonight that the Lord would give us strength to persevere in this crucifixion experience. That he would give us strength to stand. Jesus couldn't die on the whipping post. Jesus couldn't die on the road to Golgotha. He could not die until his time was up. You can't walk away from this until your time is up. You cannot walk away from this until he calls you to walk away from it. And I'm sorry if that's a sobering reality that you're not in control of your life. But when you decided to give your heart to Jesus, you gave it up. Tonight I'm going to pray that God would give us strength to stand. That God would give us the strength he gave Jesus in Gethsemane when the angels came and began to strengthen him. And he got to the point where he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Come on, lift your hands all over the building. Come on, lift your hands. Promise still stands. Great is thy faithfulness. Thy faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail me yet. I'm still in your hands. Great is your faithfulness. Thy faithfulness, I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence, you never fail me yet. Your promise still stands, great is thy Come on, y'all. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never, come on, somebody needs to say that. I'm, your promise still stands. Great is thy faithfulness. I'm still in your hand. 
This is my confidence. You never, come on, y'all, get this in your spirit. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. Me, yeah. So, Lord, tonight we thank you. We thank you for this moment of intercession. We thank you for this moment of intersection. We thank you for this opportunity, God, to see you move in our lives in a way that we've never seen you move before. We thank you tonight, Lord, for the resurrection. We thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. Thank you, Lord, tonight that in the middle of our crucifixion experience, in the middle of our shame, in the middle of them laughing at us, in the middle of them mocking us, in the middle of them looking at us like we're crazy because we believe in a God that got up out the grave, in the midst of circumstances where people are telling us to walk away, to give up, to throw in the towel, that you're giving us the mind to realize that it is not our own strength that will accomplish your righteousness. That it is our faith and our trust in you. Lord, tonight we thank you that we are shifting our gaze off of our excellence, off of our pedigree, off of my family name, off of the money I have in the bank. And God, I'm shifting my gaze to you. Tonight, I thank you that we're looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. So, Lord, tonight we ask that you would finish what you started. God, there are many of us who come here tonight in the midst of the process. God, we ask that you would finish what you started and cause resurrection to take place across the lives of these, your people. So, Lord, tonight I speak resurrection, resurrection in jobs resurrections in minds resurrections in bank accounts resurrections in my psychiatry and my psychology resurrection in relationships with children resurrections of hopes resurrections of dreams that now Lord that I've shifted my gaze God we thank you now for resurrection we thank you that these dry bones shall live again in the name of Jesus. 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 Y'all can sit.
Hey, let's pray. Let's bow our heads one more time. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for that powerful word that we just heard to shift our gaze. That when we look at you, as we just sung, who is the lion and the lamb, that everything changes. When we shift our gaze from looking inward at ourselves, from looking at the storm that may be raging all around us, and we focus on you, that everything changes, God, because you are the giver of life, that you are the source of life. All hope and love and joy flows from you. So we pray, God, for those who are going through a storm right now, that they would do exactly that. For every single one of us, that we would shift our gaze to you, God. We thank you for Boyd. We thank you, God, for his church and the vision that you've given him, God, for the city of Detroit and for that community. We pray, Lord, that you would empower him. We pray that you would use him in that community to bring hope, to bring love, to bring peace, Lord, to the people who are in that community, God, to the people who you will bring to them, God, and who you will send them out to reach as well. So we thank you so much for him and his family. Thank you for the blessing that he's been tonight to us as a community. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Hey, can we give Boyd a huge hand? Thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate you. Awesome. So as we leave tonight, I want to invite all of you back for this weekend, week two of Riding the Storm. It's going to be amazing. Tons of baptisms going on. And if you would like to receive prayer, our prayer team is going to be right here in front. Have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday, everyone. Thanks for being here.